Welcome back. It is time for my favorite hour of the week. It is time for My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and this show is brought to you by our friends at the Eastern Utah Tourism and History Association. You go down there, downtown Price, go see them. Or you can look at them online, eutha.org, eutha.org. You'll enjoy it. They're great people. Um, go in and say hi to Sue Ann and Darren and find out their nicknames. Call them by that. They love it. So today, we've got a really cool guest. It's a Utah person, a person that's been in the UFO field for a number of years and has risen to where she is a go-to person for TV shows when they need to talk about UFOs and, and different things that have happened. You've seen her on different shows. Her name is Erica Lukes. And if you type in Erica Lukes, you will see her. Um, it'll bring up a bunch of pictures and it'll bring up some other things. Uh, check check that out. And also go to www.utahclassifieds.com. That's ufoclassifieds.com to see what she's doing. Um, and we'll be with her in just a minute talking about a lot of fun stuff. I can't wait. This is somebody I've wanted to talk to forever. And it was so funny. Um, many times when I'm getting ready to interview a guest that's been on TV, there they are. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, the show the show hits TV just before I do the recording. It's happened with Chuck Zukowski twice. It's happened with Jim Vieira. It's happened um, with many of the guests that have been on. Same thing happened with Erica. There she was just a couple days ago, so that was fun. And I'm really looking forward to talking to her. So stay tuned, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment with more My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. This week we have a Utah person. We've been all over the world the last little bit and, and done some Utah, but this this one is is exciting because she's a Utah resident, uh, Utah native, I believe. We'll find out for sure in a minute, but this is Erica Lukes. She is also a radio host, um, so I hope she's not judging me on this today. Um, <laughs> she has a show called UFO Classifieds. Erica, welcome to my side of the universe. Welcome. I'm really excited to be here. And it's it's fun to talk to people in Utah because it seems like there we're pretty few and far between. But this place is one of the most important places on the planet for paranormal and UFO happenings. Without question. Uh, without question. And, and one of the things uh, before we get started, um, folks, go ahead and look up Erica Lukes, E-R-I-C-A. L-U-K-E-S on online and see the different things she does. You can pull up um, some blogs and, and uh, also her work on the radio and, um, and starting off with um, you've got about 20 pictures there. You're one of the, probably one of the most photogenic people in the paranormal world. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> so, that's always a nice way to start off a search with, with about 20 very nice pictures. Um, well, thank you. Photoshop is a beautiful thing, isn't it? <laughs> I have a hard time believing those are Photoshop. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's good that you're humble. Uh, so, Erica, wh where did all this begin with you? I know that you had an experience where you saw some UFOs in, in 2013, but you've, you've pretty much been a lifelong fan or interested in the, in the paranormal. Wh where did it all start for you? How did you get going in this? 
You know what? I I have been thinking back. I'm in the process of of writing uh, a couple books actually, and I have been putting my life together. And I had, I mean, I remember being five years old and drawing pictures of of aliens and being, you know, checking out books at the library. And so it's always been an interest of of mine. Uh, as I look back on some of the things that happened in my childhood, there were. I believe that whatever this is has been interacting with me my entire life. And so it's been a really cool discovery process to live each year and to put more and more of the pieces together. And it it has taken me on a really trippy ride. I've had more experiences, especially since I came out publicly talking about my sightings and became active, really active in research. It's been, it's been, it's like a, some sort of bizarre spy novel. I had no idea the mystery and the intrigue. (laughs) There, there is a lot of that. And as I talk to more and more people, um, most of us that, that get in interested in this usually started at a very young age and and some of us know exactly why some are struggling to find it i'm i'm in that camp i'm trying to figure out why much like you uh when i was little if i drew a picture it was going to be an alien it was going to be a ufo um you know things like that i don't believe i had any experience i know i was just absolutely obsessed with the moon and the space race and and those kind of things even though i was a, a very small child i'm talking like three or four um and i just i I'm hoping that um, as I talk to people that I'll find out more about where it all started with me. Um, but that's exciting that, that you got just, you know, the way it's evolved for you. And can you tell us about your experiences that you had um, that really got you involved in this when you saw your first ones? Yeah, absolutely. I I used to live up in, in Mill Creek and I had a home that would over it overlooked the Salt Lake Valley. And so being obsessed with, you know, I love photography. I love the sky. I just love being outside and just seeing everything. So I would sit outside every night and in this for for a couple of years and was very familiar with the air flight, the traffic, uh, the corridor to the international airport and what aircraft look like, different things. Uh, I also was familiar with the fact that we've got some of the most restricted airspace uh, in the world right here in, in the Salt Lake Valley and, and whatnot. And so you know, I was good at, at identifying mundane objects, but on this particular July night, it was the end of July, I was sitting with a couple of friends on my porch and we were entertaining, having, you know, a barbecue, hanging out. And we noticed a an orange amber sphere, spherical object that was hanging in a part of the sky right above the Ochre Mountains. And it was, it was interesting. We watched it. It was a very vivid color. Um, The sun was setting, so the sky looked absolutely beautiful, not a lot of clouds in the sky. And it it was there for long enough that I thought, okay, I'm going to get my binoculars out. This is curious. And so got the binoculars out. We were looking at it and it was one single light. You know, if you've got an aircraft, you've got different navigation lights, different things. But after watching this for, gosh, upwards 10, 15 minutes, another object appeared to drop out of this bigger object. And then the smaller object circled the larger object. And, you know, I mean, it was, it moved so quickly and was behaving in a way that it was 
peculiar. And so every night for a couple months, I would get out my my cameras, my video equipment. I would I started to really delve into it and look at different different sites. And I wanted to know what it was, I think, mostly because it was it was fascinating. I am uh, very uh, community oriented. And I also think when we live 80 miles away from Dugway Proving Ground, that we need to be aware of what's in our environment. And so I wanted to know what it was. And I caught different variations on the same type of theme, which I now, after extensive research, believe this is the same type of phenomena that appears in Heschel in Norway and Yakima, Washington, Skinwalker Ranch, all of these hotspots all over the world. They see similar types of behavior with this light. And so it was that was a it was a fascinating thing. I became a field investigator for MUFON and then eventually state director and brought back together a, a chapter that had been pretty fractured by the firing of Elaine Douglas, who was a well-known researcher here, and she passed away. So it, that was the, the really the big push for me to get involved in this publicly. Wow. And I, I have a question about, you're in Mill Creek, and you can see this from Mill Creek, which would lead me to believe that thousands you know, tens of thousands of people also could have had access to seeing these, um, but there there was no reporting of it that I know of. Do you think that many times the UFOs are somehow allowing some people to see them and some not to? You know, that's a great question, and I do feel that that's the case. I also think there's so many other factors. It's... Um, People don't look up. People yes. do not pay attention. They're always thinking about what's on the table for dinner or what little Johnny's doing in the soccer game or or different things. And so it it and people also have uh, belief systems and and barriers, just defense mechanisms that they'll put up to kind of, you know, I'm not going to go there, so I'm going to say it's this and I'm not going to think about it again. I did during that time frame find somebody that was in a pretty close proximity to me that had videotaped the same thing as well. And then there were a couple reports scattered here and there. But also, you know, in Utah, we don't have a high number of reports because people don't know where to go to report it. Right. And and so that makes it difficult, you know, as well. Yeah, without question. And and you're, you're absolutely dead on. People aren't looking up. And when they do, I almost wonder if the people that just have no belief in it almost don't see it because they don't believe it could be anything out of the norm. So they they almost ignore it um, without ever registering it. Um, I'm not sure, you know, where this where this all goes, but um, the Ochre Mountains are, are a funny place. That was where I had my one and only sighting. I was on the other side over at uh, Merker Cemetery. That is a an interesting place. We have to go there together sometime. <laughs> oh, you're on. Yeah, that's sweet. That is one of my favorite places. And it was so odd. You know, you, you're talking about people don't look up. And many times when I get on an investigation like that, I'm supposed to be looking down, whether I'm on a Bigfoot investigation or a ghost investigation. I'm always staring at the sky. Um, I, I almost 
instantly lose interest in what's around me for the other part of the investigation if we're outside and just start watching the sky if the stars are out. And we saw this light come from Dugway direction towards us. It didn't look like a normal plane light. There was none of the navigation stuff that you were mentioning. Just a light that looked like it was shining down, but it didn't like glow at the source. This thing flew towards us, flew maybe 100 yards west of us, <clears throat> and was probably no more than 200 feet high. And all we could see was the light. You could see a little bit of star distortion as it went by. And as soon as it got to the mountain, right where Merker, um, the mine is, it just disappeared. I don't know if the light went off, if it took off fast, if, you know, if it went through a portal. Um, <laughs> have you seen anything like I'm describing? You know, I've not seen anything with the, the spotlight, uh, the light coming down. I have heard a lot of reports like that. Um, I've have had, I mean, just really unusual experiences, you know, too, with the light, uh, you know, a single light, and it almost appears to be ejecting something. Yes. And then, you know, the, the different lights will move in patterns and things. And so that's really, it's all fascinating. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to have you on my show <laughs> so I could hear about that as sighting because that's, those are important things. And Merker is a, a really active, radioactive, probably place. There's ah. lots, lots going on in that yeah. area. I would love to do that. And there's some EVPs from that night that hopefully I still have access to on my computer. It was on one of the older ones. Um, really crazy stuff. So yeah, I would love to love to talk to you about that awesome. more. And the funny thing was, um, many times, you know, you, you hear about people that, that see a UFO, that see Bigfoot, that whatever, and they don't take a picture. They don't do anything to record it. There was four of us there. Three of us had cameras, video cameras. We all had our voice recorders going. Not one of us thought to turn the camera on and turn it towards this. We were too busy looking at it and swearing. Uh. <laughs> you know what? It, I mean, people always will say that. Why didn't some, if, you know, people have cameras nowadays and why didn't they take it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, I, I would say if you're face to face with something unknown, you know, your your first thought might not be to pick up a camera. It might be some sort of survival instinct, I, I, you know. <laughs> and, you know, also you've got the fact that it, it, taking a, a photo of a light at night is it's not a lot. It's not really conclusive evidence to to the you know the right. a lot of people so i mean i don't blame you i've i've had moments like that where i've done the same thing and <laughs> i've been really happy that the sound was off on the video camera <laughs> unfortunately yeah unfortunately we did have the audio stuff going since we were on a ghost hunt but <laughs> yeah there was it was kind of like when people talk about the black box recording of a plane crash um just constant swearing towards the end and and uh all of us all of us got pretty colorful as we were trying to describe it and and i don't think any of us realized just how excited we were because that's not our normal conversation um you know <laughs> that kind of language sure it comes up but not to the extent that it did that night oh that's so, awesome i might yeah. have to twist your arm to hear that recording sometime <laughs> yeah let me uh I'll, I'll see if i can dig that up unfortunately it was on a computer that was damaged. I, I think I can still get it, but I'm not a 100% awesome. sure. But yeah, I'll start digging for that. Um, so we've just got about a minute left before we go to our first break. Um, when Can you just describe the way you feel when or felt when you saw those um, orbs 
over um, the Ochre Mountains. What what was running through you? What um, what emotionally? What what was happening when you saw those? You know, it was it was just a, a sense of um, amazement. Of it, it was I didn't feel. I've never really felt frightened. Um, just, it just almost in a in a strange way, grateful that I was having this experience. And then, you know, also there that little thought enters your mind. Okay, is this? You got to rationalize it. Rationalize it. What is this? Is it A B C D? And then you're still at the end of the day left with well, it's that was really unusual, and I'm very lucky to have seen it. Yes, and so yeah, I, I and that's kind of the. As I talk to different people, they go through a, a range of emotions, and almost always they get to that point where they're trying to rationalize it. Well, could this be a plane? Could it be a helicopter? Could I, could I have a smear on my glasses? You know, trying to think of every possible thing um, naturally occurring that it could be. Um, but I think in the back of most of our minds, still hoping that it's going to be something else. It's, it's definitely a lot more comfortable to to dismiss it. Yeah, but they're not as much fun. All right. Never. (laughs) Well, we need to break away for just a minute, do some commercials, but we'll be right back with more with Erica Lukes on My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. This is your host, Todd Wilcox, and we are with Erica Lukes talking about UFOs, and, and we're gonna, I'm sure we're going to hit a lot of different things today. But um, while we were uh, off air a minute ago, uh, I, didn't, I, I failed to talk about some of the things you have going on on TV, and I just saw you the other day. Um, can you tell us about the shows that you're in and what's coming up and what, what you've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. It's I uh, a couple years ago I was asked to be uh, a regular on a show called UFOs: The Lost Evidence, and that at the time aired on American Heroes, and now it's just switched over to the Travel Channel. And so I um, have lots of people from all over the world sending me messages and telling me about their sightings, and it is a real pleasure to to have the ability to to get out there and present the topic in a, a rational uh professional manner and i think that we've we've needed that for a long time and it's also been fun for me to be kind of a, a new fresh face in regard to the ufo phenomenon getting information out so i love it i've got two new shows um i will be in another season of nasa's unexplained files that will be airing i believe in january and then another brand new show which i can't talk about the name yet and that'll be coming out too so it's it's fun i really have enjoyed having the opportunity to do this and and i feel since my background is i'm a professional vocalist and if you know i would i was on stage in front of thousands of people at the 2002 winter olympics and singing and different things and so it's really it's it's normal comfortable thing for me and i love it wow so what what type of music uh do you sing what what is your specialty so my background, and I, I studied for, gosh, 20 years, uh, classical voice. Uh, the, I was at the University of Utah, and then I decided because it was a little too rigid for me, I went off into to doing the band thing. And so I started my first band when I was 18 and sang at, you know, the Zephyr Club and the Dead Goat Saloon and <laughs> 
and all of all of the great places that I wish were still Portocal, all of the great places that I wish were still there. But I went into kind of the rock and then uh, jazz. I was in a, a group called Zion Tribe and we did a couple albums and, and stuff. And so that was I, I love that. I need to get back to singing. I've got people kicking me in the shins trying to <laughs> get me out of my UFO funk here. <laughs> yes. Well, one of the things I, it, when we go to Merker, um, I would love it if you would do some singing. The way things travel out there, um, I think it could be amazing. And and many times when, <coughs> excuse me, when you put on that kind of um, energy, you get strange results. And so I think with with your uh, classical music background, that may be a fun experiment to do is just have you sing and have it go off the echoes and see what kind of responses we get. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I could bring my little karaoke machine with that number. <laughs> All right. Very good. Very good. And uh, you mentioned the Dead Goat Saloon. Um, I've got a quick funny story to tell. Uh, when I was 20, I was working construction uh, while I was going to college, and we were down working close to the Dead Goat. And we went there for lunch the day before my 21st birthday. And uh, sat down, the owner the owner was working, and I had a couple beers during lunch, and and uh, the people with me were drinking. We we're talking to the guy, and and uh, the next day I go back, and and the owner's there again, and um, this time he's got a bartender there who asks to see my ID, and he says, "Oh, happy birthday! Today's your birthday, huh?" And the owner, without saying any word, just kind of looks at me and raises an eyebrow and smirks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet that was John Paul. Yeah, that was, that was that's awesome story. And that, I mean, talk about that place was a, just legendary. Mm-hmm. And that was the first stage I performed on. And I was actually 18. I guess I, you know, it's, it's gone now, so I can talk about that. So I'm right yes. there with you. But it, you know, they had some of the most legendary uh, blues singers on the planet on that stage. Oh, I love the blues. I do too. Absolutely love the blues. Yeah, that's that's um, too bad that's gone. That was that was fun. And it's funny we were both in there as we were underage. That's <laughs> well. Apparently we were a little naughty, but you know, <laughs> makes life fun sometimes. Without question. Um, so you also do a lot of. You've done a lot of research on Skinwalker. Right. Would you mind just telling us just what you think of of Skinwalker Ranch and what do you think is going on there? Maybe what's causing it? Just, just your general thoughts. If you want to give us some, some, uh, you know, some of your, not evidence, but the, uh, the things that you've investigated, talk about that, but just, you know, what you think uh, is going on out there. You know, I think that, I think that there is, it's like many of the other areas that I've investigated, John Keel called them window areas. Um, portals uh you know you've you've got hot spots and there is a a really great astrophysicist who's been on my show his name is Dr. Massimo Teodorani he's over in Italy and he has done extensive research on these different locations and what what could make them uh an area that would would bring in this kind of activity. Um, they're definitely uh, mineral and rare earth. What uh, magnetic anomalies? What what are, what things are taking place in a specific area to create a ripe environment? Um, it is an an area that, of course, we we need a lot more funding. Uh, but Skinwalker in the Uinta Basin is just a fascinating area. And to be honest, we wouldn't know a thing about it really, if it weren't for Junior Hicks, 
who is an amazing human being. And I had the absolute pleasure of, of going up there and interviewing him and Roosevelt. Very interesting, interesting interview. I can't wait to get that out there. But he's collected over 700 reports in the past few decades. And that I think he has done more than any other living human being with regard to to doing research like that. And he also created a very safe environment for residents who were having these profound and sometimes traumatic experiences. People knew to send him to junior because he would walk people through it and help them try to to understand what was taking place. Um, you know, you hear lots about the the Native Americans cursing the land, specifically the Skinwalker property. Um, there there have been lots of things that have taken place around the area that are is just it's just as fascinating. I was there when I went up to interview Junior oh, about four months ago now, and I actually set up my stuff in this. <laughs> The whole experience was such a trip, but I'll just tell you about it. I haven't talked about it too much, but this is a good one. I uh, I went up with a, a friend of mine who also researches this, and we're staying at a, a motel. And lo and behold, right when we're getting ready to go out, a dust devil goes right in front of the door of our motel. And I'm just, okay, I'm just going to just put that, you know, in my little bag of, that was interesting. <laughs> And so we get in the car and we're driving and it's twilight and, you know, there's a, a just an amazing lightning storm going on. It was absolutely surreal. And we, you know, get to the a good vantage point and set up our equipment. And then we saw, I noticed a very, an intense light that would, that appeared to be shining up on the Mesa and I watched it, and you know, okay, this could be A, B, C, D. Um, watch the light travel across the mesa, you know, by the old homestead, and then towards the where the uh, caretakers live. And then we both notice that there's almost like this illuminated mist that starts forming, and this covers the the length of the property and this moves towards us and then around us and then away from us and you know i mean we just sat there i'm probably using about the same type of language that you were <laughs> and you were murker <laughs> you know it was just like i mean it was absolutely unbelievable i mean it, it, like i think we after we came home we were extremely exhausted and it it took us a a little bit to kind of process what or make sense of what happened it was very very unusual and so that was you know my my experience there there definitely is something that's very active in and around that area um i talked to i called junior after that happened and i said junior i want to tell you what happened and he said you know erica i would have gotten out of there as quickly as i could <laughs> He's like that. That's how people disappear as they get there, <laughs> you know, around these uh, th these things that open up and you never see them again. But I'm lucky I survived and I'm here to tell about it. Yes. Um, are you familiar with Barry Fitzgerald? Yes, I like I like Barry a lot. In fact, I, we keep meaning to have a conversation, but those Irish boys are hard to get a hold of. He is hard to get a hold of. I ended up talking to him and it was like two o'clock in the morning his time. And he had another interview after me. And I don't remember how many before me, but very gracious and um, just a, you know, a great interview. You're going to love talking to him. 
he but he has come up with a an app he he's actually somehow developed two things one um which should be available anytime now you put on your phone and it and it increases your your uh, phone's memory capacity by thousands and i'm trying to remember exactly the difference but on say on an average phone now you get about you could store about 1100 hours of continuous music with what he's doing with this you could store about 150 years of continuous music and wow. he needed that to run the next program that he's developing which to me seems like a first generation star trek tricorder um this this will measure electrical anomalies light uh, all kinds of things and it's constantly sending the information i'm i'm going to call it the cloud i'm not sure if that's the right word but it's constantly updating the information that it's picking up so that a a worldwide database is going to be created of of these different anomalies it will also show your location if you should disappear if if all of a sudden you're just gone it will make alerts out that a researcher is gone <laughs> with that's comforting because <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you i've gotten into some situations that i'm just like oh dear yeah <laughs> mama better call out the troops because <laughs> you know this could be a little hairy that's really cool i'll have to find out the name of the app and then tell my listeners has he do you as he you know, to me, something that I have kind of been struggling with or trying to just I, I worry sometimes that when data is going in a certain direction that people might get a hold of that data and and that might not be the best thing. Right. They might not have the best motivations. There's there's definite concerns. And as I bring this up to people, that's that's one of the first things they come up is it's almost like Big Brother's watching you kind of stuff. And and um yeah, so there's, and I'm not sure how he's going to address those things. Um, my thoughts after talking to him is that this information is just going to be used, um, you know, for the for the light side, we'll call it, and, and hopefully we'll keep it away from Darth Vader and those guys. Um, but yeah, any time you have that kind of information, what's, what is it going to be used for? I, I start, you know, my mind races on, you know, how do, are we going to be using it to find where these electrical anomalies are, where the things are that people are disappearing, where possibly where um, uh, maybe some pyramids, those kind of things might be found in the U.S. or in different places that we didn't think they were. Um, you know, what kind of discoveries are we going to make? But then again, there's also what could it be used for? Yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, if Barry's such a straight shooter and I really respect him a lot. So if anybody could could do something. And like you say, you know, be on the light side of, of things that would be Barry. So that's, that's awesome. I'll have to reach out to him and talk to him about that. And, and also, you know, I think, um, you know, he's not in uh, America and I hate to say this, but from my personal research and some of the dealings that I have had, uh, we don't, we don't play fair over here. Um, there is, it's not, research isn't as pure as it would be over in Europe and in other places because we've had such a, we've got a lot of uh, contractors who want to find out what this technology is and make money. And and we've had a, a government for the past 70 years that has worked to discredit and marginalize the subject. And so we have a lot of, a lot of landmines here in the United States. So maybe if he's over there, he's can, can, 
have at it a little bit more efficiently than we can here. That's an interesting thought, and I hadn't I hadn't gone down that road. But yeah, I I think you uh, you're onto something there, where it probably is much easier and much cleaner to do that kind of research uh, away from the 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 cover up and the and you know black ops for better term uh, that we have going on here for the different things. Uh, but you know what? We have run out of time again. I can't believe how fast this Dang is going. It. We will be right back, though. We're not done. We'll be back in just a minute with more Erica Lukes on My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and we have the opportunity to talk to Erica Lukes today. And what a fun time it's been. Um, Erica, the time's flying by, but we still I love have... love it. <laughs> me too. We still have a couple things to talk about. Um, tell us about your trip to Norway. What, what was that all about? What did you do there? So I had a, a remarkable opportunity. I've been, when I get my mind set on something, it's, you know, come, I, I get it done. And I, when I started, when I was state director for MUFON, I quickly realized after spending countless hours going through the, the database that we were seeing the same types of things that I saw that many people all over the world were seeing. And I learned about the, the research of Professor Erling Strand, who is at Otsfold University. He's in engineering and 35 plus years ago in a little sleepy village in Norway, the townspeople were besieged with these UFOs. Uh, some structured craft, some balls of light, different things. But these, it was a very it's small, small little village, uh, good, hardworking people. And they, they were frightened. And so they turned to the media and pretty soon the whole town was full of journalists from all over. And then people were littering and destroying fields and, and um, then making fun of, of these people. And Erling and some of his colleagues saw this and were very, very taken aback by the fact that scientists and journalists who were supposed to be objective could dismiss people like that without conducting any research. They went about obtaining funding and did a they were there for, I believe, about four weeks to do field research, and they they witnessed and documented over 200 different sightings. From there, they worked with the university and with the military, the government, other universities from all over Europe to obtain funding. 35 years later, they have the most important research project with regard to anomalous light phenomena. They have documented countless sightings. You can go to projectheshtalan.org to look at that, to see their work, to see the, the caliber of people <laughs> that are, are with them. I mean, I was, I flew over there. I was there when they were doing science camp, which they do twice a year. They take students from the engineering college and they will climb three different mountains with all of their equipment in the harshest of conditions, set the equipment up uh, for monitoring and all of that. Data is then filtered back into what's the blue box, which is a it's a it's a container that has all of the 
uh, all the the stuff feeds back there. So we, I went with Erling. We climbed mountains, uh, talked with the the students. I was sitting at a table with two world-renowned uh, scientists from Italy, a world-renowned French scientist, a Greek scientist, uh, and then Erling uh, and me. And I'm just sitting there going, I am really out of place, but I'm kind of digging this. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, you know, I mean, it was, he was so gracious. They were so excited to to have me over there. And I've, I've, I did, there were, you know, every night er- Erling would take me out with my camera cameras we drive out into this middle of a of a field a very active location and we'd set up our cameras the wind is howling and you know one night i was out there with him and i could hear voices as if they were having a conversation like somebody right next to us and i thought okay that's strange erling could not hear it uh the next night we took another person out there and he heard the voices and so i being the the foolish girl that i am you know that loves adventure and a good adrenaline rush i i i walked away and so i'm in i mean this is pitch black in the middle of rugged terrain and I just stood there with my video camera on even though you can't really you know you can't see anything I wanted the audio and about you know four minutes into it I just in a whispered voice I just said where are you and when you play the tape back you can hear a voice say right here oh nice and yeah, I mean, it was it was just an, a really uh, amazing experience. We saw the Northern Lights. I did a lot of candid interviews with Erling and also a witness who had lived in the valley. He was in his late 80s and he talked about an Erling translated and that's on my ufoclassified.com website, but talking about all of the sightings and how, you know, later in his life, how he looked back on on the profound impact that all of these things had. It was a remarkable experience and one that not too many people, you know, that I know of have had. And it is, it's been my mission because things are so gummed up here in the United States to really shine a spotlight on this project. Uh, they've identified four different types of light phenomena that behaves intelligently. Oh, that is amazing! Yeah, <clears throat> and you and you virtually never hear about it. It's it's not um, something something like that should be well known to the casual observer, not just the people deep into the UFO community, but the the casual um, the person with casual interest that may read, you know, that that anything about the lights or the UFO phenomenon might catch their eye on a on a news report <clears throat> should know about these things, and it's really just not out there. It isn't. I mean, I remember talking to, you know, gosh, I mean, people high up in MUFON saying, you know, what have you talked to these people? What do you know about about this project? Nothing, nothing. And luckily, when I was state director, I, I convinced the powers that be to bring him over so he could speak. And then the year that I was speaking at UFO Congress, he also came over. So he's starting to get some traction here in the United States because I just keep plugging away and we need to look at this. This is it's really, really, really important. And it, it that comes without all of the the delusional trappings that we run into here, because here in, in the ufology, you see people who are promoting garbage Um and, you know, this is way to win friends and influence people with Erica Luke's. 
<laughs> but you know, I mean, it's like it's it's you know, I mean. Uh, I don't know what we it, we don't know what we're dealing with and we can't I think we're really we're foolish to label it. And so I I appreciate the fact that they can use science, the scientific method to address this issue without bias. And that's critical if we're going to really learn something about this. Yes, yes. And and maybe after a certain point the it'll be more common, um, more accepted for academia to look at this uh, because right now there's certain fields that if they, if they look too close at, at the UFO phenomenon, their career is over. Um, You know, not every physicist can come out and say, yes, there, there should be something out there doing this. Many of them will be shut down. Um, And so you, you just, we need to change that whole uh, whole behavior model to where where it's actually okay to explore in academia again instead of just defend what somebody said was true 200 years ago. Right, and and I think you know the ufology, quote unquote ufology, has done a lot of harm in that regard. We haven't had any professional standards. We don't have any ethics. Um, and, and I think that we need to, as researchers or people that have the public, the public's attention, kind of call some of these things out and then really uh, push people's attention to places where they're going to benefit the most and learn good research because it's there. It's just not, you're not going to find it maybe uh, in a lot of lectures in the United States. Yeah, I I think you're dead on, uh, unless you go to you know to one of the big conferences and then um, you know you get plenty. But just in the in the actual training uh, that it needs to be more in there. Now, while we were on break, you were telling me that you have an archive set up at your business. Can you tell us about that? It sounds absolutely fascinating. You know, I am I have been for the past few years been collecting, uh, purchasing, acquiring research from different researchers who have have gotten out of the field or who are deceased. I have acquired um, quite a large collection from uh, the woman who was the curator of the Center for UFO Studies, the J. Allen Hynek uh, Center, and have out of print really collectible books uh, I have I acquired recently thanks to Jim Klotz one of the largest uh, collections of periodicals from the 40s on with uh, relation to UFOs and I've uh, put this in a, a commercial space so I can have this as kind of a center hub for for researchers to educate the public and I'll do meetings at the, the studio I'm, I'm doing one as you know that you're coming to, I'm really excited to where my friend and colleague Nick Redfern will be coming to speak. And then we can talk about that. It's really, really, really important, especially right now when a lot of the older people in the field are passing away and their work is either being thrown in the trash, it's being donated to uh, black holes like MUFON, or it's being given to different universities. And the universities, it's definitely the better option. But even then, when you de- when you 
will things to universities, a researcher would have to travel specifically to that state to get research, and then there would be copyright issues. So that makes it, it difficult. Um, I work with one of the world's leading experts and my mentor, who was Barry Greenwood. He wrote an explosive and important book, one of the best books on the subject. It's called Clear Intent. It's out of print. I think it came out in 1983, but he did extensive work along with a couple other researchers to FOIA declassified documents from uh, the CIA, FBI, and it painted a very clear picture of what our government, the lengths our government has gone to uh, marginalize this subject and hide it from the public. And so he's helping me learn how to restore documents. And he's also helping me acquire documents. Uh, most recently, and this is kind of a cautionary tale, I just want to mention, I had made arrangements with a woman in Oklahoma to obtain the Elaine Douglas files. Elaine was a very important researcher here in Utah. And she had a lot of, of files. I was set and had made my my arrangements to travel out there. And two days before, she informed me that she had given these files to uh, the executive director of MUFON. And it was it's been heartbreaking to all of us here. Not only did you know is that there potentially a legal issue there. It's really not the right thing to do. Uh, her work deserves to be seen by the public too. We need to have we need to have resources available so we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. You know, somebody she spent decades of her life doing work. Now, how can I continue that as a researcher here in Utah? Unfortunately, we might never get the chance, but I want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And so just to throw this out there to anybody who's listening in Utah or anywhere else, if you have or know of any archives that are in, in peril, please get in contact with me, uh, Jan Aldrich, Barry Greenwood. Let's get these files to a safe place where we can all learn and preserve history. That is that is great um, information to have out there as far as what gets lost. Why why do you think these things get swallowed up? You know, there's there's a lot of talk that the Smithsonian uh, does the same thing. Um, anything that doesn't fit the model that they see things operating just disappears into their archives, and the government is accused of that as well. Move on now. Why why is it going on? You know, I think that there are a couple couple different reasons I th well I think a lot of it's greed um, a lot of a lot of people want to steer the narrative for their own uh, for their own gain um, I think that there are as we know religious implications to all of this I think that people want to make money off of technology I think people want to have control systems over the public and so you've got all these these different things I know specifically with the Elaine Douglas files Elaine did after she was fired, after decades of service to MUFON, she did a lot of research on the organization. And so it is my belief that they they acquired the files because they wanted to perhaps suppress information. Gotcha. And that one, that makes sense. Um, I, I'm not saying it's right, but it, the why it's happening, you know, what they're doing makes makes some sense now is why it's disappearing. So. Oh. Right. And, and I hope that's not the case. Um, you know, I'm trying to 
I have put out a, an olive branch to try to work with them to see if we can get the files back here to Utah, and we'll see how that goes. But we, you know, we deserve to have a a place where we can research and study and and carry on people's memories who've contributed a great deal to the field. That is fantastic. So, so if there's a, a UFO researcher out there and they would like to see your archive, they just come to your place and and is there a fee to get in there um how, how does it work for them no nope it's it's uh free and they can just uh find me uh contact me and then make a a time and also you know i'm on facebook you can send me a message there and different things uh so i i love that i i I'm really happy to know you because I think you're going to be a great addition to our, our group and we'll just keep raising awareness here in Utah. And um, I, I look forward to it. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I am so excited to, to meet with you and the others uh, at the presentation you're doing uh, with Nick. And that's going to be a blast. Erica, we are out of time. This has been an extraordinary privilege privilege today. I've had so much fun. Um, you're great to talk to. I'm, I'm sure all the listeners have enjoyed it, and, and I encourage them to go to ufoclassifieds.com, check, it, check out the work you're doing, and also just search Erica Lukes. Uh, you'll find the different, you know, you'll find her radio show and the different things you're doing. Uh, Erica, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to meeting you. Very much so as well. Uh, we'll be right back with more of My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and... The fastest hour of my week is just about up. It has been so much fun. It's also my favorite hour of the week. I want to thank all of you for joining me. And when the show started, I forgot to tell you that Bigfoot saw me and nobody believes him. And uh, now I just want to tell you how much I enjoyed talking to Erica today. A lot of great information. Fun to talk to. Just a really nice lady. Can't wait to meet up with her uh, next week at an event. And uh, things are good. So... I hope you all had an outstanding 2018 and that you're going to have a super great 2019. I know 2018 was one of the best years I've had in possibly decades. It was so much fun. And a big reason was some of the people we talked to on this show and, of course, the interaction that I have with you folks listening. Uh, but it was a great year, and I'm so happy you were a part of it. And I think 2019 is going to be even better, not just for me, but for everybody. So stay tuned for a great year ahead. We've got some really great guests coming up, and it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. And thank you for joining us each week on My Side of the Universe. <clears throat> it truly is my favorite hour of the week. And be sure to support our sponsors, the Eastern Utah Tourism and History Association in downtown Price. Go say hi to Darren. Go say hi to Sue Ann. Tell them that that alien guy on the radio sent you. <laughs> it's always fun to hear that. Uh, you can also check them out at eutha.org or just go downtown. You can't miss it. It's the old 911 pawn store. Uh, thanks for joining us each week. And remember, you matter. Until you multiply yourself by the speed of light squared, then you energy. We'll see you next week on My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM.